in many cases, 30 plus percent of an animal that's being harvested and used for human consumption, 30 plus percent of that animal isn't going into human food streams. And in some cases, it's, you know, the hide of the animal, it's the, the bone of the animal, it's the fat of the animal. Uh, other cases, it's organ meats that, there, you know, in the U.S., there isn't a high, uh, high interest for consumption in uh, and so we have products, you know, these are necessary products that come from the production of human foods that are available that offer tremendous nutritive value. And if we weren't to find ways to use them and to capitalize on the nutritive value they had, then the alternative is that they go into waste streams. A whole new era of communication in the pet food industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global pet food industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition. Make one call, find it all. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition, your partner for pet ingredients and services. ProAmpac is changing the future of sustainable pet food packaging. Learn more at pets.proampac.com. Kemen Nutrisurance is your pet food and rendering partner every step of the way. Trow Nutrition, the science of ingredients, nutrition, and blending. Welcome to the Pet Food Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the pet food industry. Tired of one-size-fits-all solutions that don't quite fit? At Wilbur Ellis, we're bringing custom back to the customer. We know that for your pet food and treats to shine on the shelf, you need to start with the best. After all, even the best recipe is only as good as its ingredients. From nutrition to preservation to blending and bottling, make one call to Wilbur Ellis Nutrition to find it all. We don't sell to you, we work with you. A true partnership to meet your needs. Follow Wilbur Ellis Nutrition on LinkedIn to learn how partnering with a purpose could double the power of your team. So welcome to the Pet Food Science Podcast. We are uh, very pleased today to have Dr. Jennifer Martin with us and we're going to talk about uh, some ingredient supply issues into the uh, pet food industry, and, and I'm very pleased to uh, be here. I think we'll have we'll have a chance for some interesting discussions. So, Jen, I wonder if you could just give us a little bit of your background. Tell us how you got to uh, where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So happy to be here. Really excited for this conversation. Uh, I grew up uh, in Central Texas and uh, pursued degrees in animal science uh, at Texas Tech University. And like most other undergraduate students, I wanted to go into veterinary medicine and realized uh, in my undergraduate program uh, that there were a wealth of opportunities in animal science and actually pursued um, graduate degrees in meat science. Uh, and so spent my graduate program focused a lot on meat quality and meat safety, uh, and then uh, took a faculty position here at Colorado State University in the spring of 2015, uh, and hadn't really delved much. So I'd done a bit of work in pet food manufacturing and products going into pet food production prior to that, but really wasn't familiar with the industry uh, because it's not an industry that's talked about much in the, the larger meat science community. Uh, and in 2016, I submitted a proposal to the Fats and Protein Research Foundation 
uh, to establish the Pet Food Alliance at Colorado State University. And the focus of the Pet Food Alliance was to bring together members of the rendering industry, supported by the North American Rendering Association, as well as the pet food industries, along with academia, to identify opportunities for research, collaborative discussions to address challenges that were impacting both of those industries. So collaborative solution finding uh, for problems impacting both the rendering and pet food industries. Uh, And that's been here at Colorado State since 2016. We're really excited through that alliance to have funded research, to have supported research that's uh, benefited both the pet food and rendering industries and really helped to expand the impact of uh, products going into pet food production uh, so that we can continue to feed our pets high-quality, safe, and healthy diets. Um, so it's been a, a great venture for us here at CSU, and we're really proud of the work and certainly thankful for our industry partners uh, who have been the driving force because they're they're willing to come to the table, sometimes around difficult topics, and work together to find solutions. And it's been really amazing to see that collaboration between those industries. No, that sounds very interesting and and, and a unique path uh, to the pet food science. You know, the thing that we were just chatting a little bit about it before, but I think people realize um, that pets, cats are obligatory carnivores, dogs are carnivores. Um, they're really omnivores. They, they do well with both. But And I have made a vegetarian dog food. I actually have made a vegetarian cat food. It's just it's just harder. <laughs> yes. Products and animal products have a, have a large value in our industry. And, and so I thought we would talk about maybe the safety a little bit of that. And then I want to talk about this whole idea of sustainability, because I think, I think that would be of interesting interest to people as they realize, oh, this is a, this, like you said, that cooperative, collaborative uh, effort where we have high quality products coming out into the human food chain and and secondary products that are still also high quality but coming out in, in ways that perhaps people no longer want to consume them and they they're they're high nutrient value they uh, they work well yeah. in pet food and so that's that's kind of what I hope we talk about so let's talk about safety first tell tell us what you've done there and how you know how people can be sure that that the products that are coming into the pet food uh, industry are are safe? Yeah, that's a great question. And certainly as pet owners, uh, pet owners want to make sure that they're feeding their pets high quality, safe foods. And not only do we have an obligation to assure that the foods we're feeding pets are safe, but also recognizing that humans are handling those foods. So there's a human public health aspect there, uh, there as well. And so certainly in the production of products that are going into pet food manufacturing, the same uh, processes that benefit human health to make sure that the, the, the pathogens, the bacteria, the, the things that are uh, adverse to human health are also benefiting the production of products going into pet food manufacturing. But because there are additional steps, you know, when a product leaves a meat processing facility or a product leaves a distribution facility going to a pet food manufacturing facility, there's an extra transportation step. There's extra handling steps. There's there's more that happens because it's not going to uh, to a, a restaurant or to a, a home for for preparation for consumption. And so a lot of um, concern existed around potential avenues for contamination post-production. So after we have a meat product that is produced, and then we're going to do some further processing to prepare that for pet food manufacturing, 
And then certainly in the pet food manufacturing process, there's additional processing steps that happen. And so one of the, the larger projects that we did here at Colorado State University in the safety space was looking at some of the post-processing steps that occur specifically in rendering to make sure that the pathogens that are of concern for both humans and pets, and namely salmonella, that the rendering process itself, so that high heat, re- high heat cooking, removal of moisture, that that process actually does destroy or eliminate salmonella in fats or in meals that are used in pet food manufacturing. And salmonella is certainly, uh, as a, a, a meat scientist and a person who studies safety, it's it's my favorite pathogen. It's the one that uh, the more we the more we know of. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have favorite pathogens, but it's the one that I really enjoy studying because the more we learn about it, the more we have to learn. And so there were lots of questions around, you know, in a low moisture environment that's high in protein, such as the products we see going into pet food manufacturing, can salmonella survive? And if so, uh, how does it survive? Where does it survive? What's going on and what may promote that? And so we did a lot of research looking at different moisture levels, different cooking temperatures, uh, different uh, seeing like, you know, in, in a rendering container, for example, of fat that's often used to flavor pet food kibble. Uh, can salmonella survive in a low moisture, high fat environment? And we learned that it cannot, that there are, uh, if, if, you, if the, the correct temperatures used in the industry are applied, then that salmonella is destroyed and we actually were able to, to demonstrate the efficacy of the rendering process uh, in eliminating salmonella from rendered ingredients going into pet food manufacturing. Now, there are certainly other avenues by which salmonella could be introduced. And so that's where the idea of the pet food manufacturing process also playing a role in making sure that any potential contaminants, whether it's bacterial uh, or viral or, or any contaminants that may uh, impact the health of a pet or a human are managed in pet food manufacturing. And so we've also, in addition to the research piece, we work closely with pet food manufacturers, rendering companies, meat processors to make sure that their processes are validated. So the things they're doing in a facility to eliminate harmful uh, bacteria or other agents for humans and pets, that they're, they actually work. And so part of our research team here goes into these facilities, and we will test to make sure that what we say is working is actually working. And we work really closely with our industry partners to help them gain that validation. Well, that sounds great. So I would like to smile and say to those who maybe um, – feel like we no longer have fresh at the end of this, that we invented fire for a reason. And we we want to uh, have high quality foods that are defined by quality to the pet. You know, again, we have, you know, our own biases and things that I, I, I myself am a, am a carnivore, I guess omnivore, of course, but I enjoy, uh, uh, meat as well, but but I don't enjoy all all meats, and so this is what comes into the to the pet food industry. And what you're describing to me then is a process where we can see the benefit uh, taken through the nutrient benefit taken through while assuring ourselves that we have the benefit of pathogens that are that are controlled. You know, we don't something. I guess maybe the the uh, 
person listening to this might be interested in is that we're not actually sterilizing these foods, but we are destroying the pathogens in them. Could you talk about maybe that that kind of difference? That's a great question. So it's similar to, you know, one of the things that we rely on largely in human food consumption is cooking. Uh, So rarely, occasionally, right, you might consume meats that are raw, but generally we cook meats and have the benefit of cooking meats to eliminate any harmful uh, agents, bacteria, so on and so forth that may be there. So the process by which we render or we, um, you know, we uh, provide ingredients for pet food manufacturing is very similar to cooking. Um, Usually because most uh, pet foods, especially pet foods that aren't fresh pet foods, like don't require refrigeration. They do, the average pet owner wants a a longer shelf life, right? They want to be able to store their pet kibble uh, in a, uh, a closet or in a, a container where it's, you know, uh, uh, not at refrigerated temperatures. And so that requires a cooking step. It requires removal of moisture. So it's not the same as sterilization where it's uh, pathogen free. It's assembly, It's essentially the same steps and processes that we would follow in human food preparation, but just maybe with a different an additional outcome so that there is that benefit of added shelf stability or a longer shelf life that we gain in pet food products that we don't have uh, in uh, products that are produced for human consumption. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we challenge ourselves to produce that product that that's of high quality and a great benefit to the pet, but can be transported to a, a pet shop or a veterinary uh, shop yeah. and, and stay yeah. there for a long time. What do you think as you as you came through this? Has this been new information, or has it been better applied? Or what what's the research scientist that's kind of working in this area? What's your what's your uh, you know your sort of horizon look? What what what's been in the past, and what's in the future? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and that we have this conversation a lot as a, a meat scientist. Um, I think what we're seeing in the pet food industry mimics what we've seen in the human food industry. And those trends, that, that's a, a, a thing that we see often is trends that were once for human foods we're now seeing in pet food. So whether it be labeling trends or production trends or so on and so forth. And the same then applies to the production processes. So the same technologies that are utilized in um, human food manufacturing, we're now seeing come into pet food manufacturing. And so I, I think what we're really seeing is a, sh- a shift in recognition of the, to your earlier point, what pets actually need from a nutritive perspective, what adds value to their lives so that they can live a healthy life. And having that focus be at the center point for pet food manufacturing. And then the partnership with those people who supply the ingredients going into pet food manufacturing. Because if we think about today, so we have a, I have a dog, uh, my husband and I have a dog and it, it I started the Pet Food Alliance, or we started the Pet Food Alliance before becoming pet owners. And so I, I knew, right, I I kind of knew from a scientific production, from a, a, a an industry level, what was happening in pet food manufacturing. But your first trip to a pet store, or your first trip down the dog food aisle, you recognize the diversity of products that exist and how the, the product scope that exists today is so different than what existed uh, you know, when I had pets as a child, where there were a handful of options of dog food versus today. So I think we're seeing that same trend of really focusing on 
uh, one outcomes for the pet, right? So what, what nutritive ingredients, what nutritive value do foods provide to the pet? And then what preferences does the owner have? So uh, as a pet owner, right, and maybe I'm interested in certain label claims, the impact of that on my dog might be marginal, but the impact to me as a consumer is is high, right? It's something that I place value in. So we're seeing that. And one of those, I think, that we're continuing to see in the pet food industry that mimics what we've seen in the human food industry is the recognition of sustainability and the recognition that uh, pets, the, the number of pet owners and the number of pets in the U.S. and worldwide continues to increase. And we have to feed them in, in sustainable ways. And one of the ways that we can feed pets sustainably is by using our existing human food avenues to also feed our pets. And one of those is the combat, you know, the, the really great relationship between meat production, rendering, and the pet food manufacturing process. And that uh, that ability for those industries to work together with the recognition, as you pointed earlier, that we have carnivores, that our pets need proteins in their diets. They, they're seeking animal proteins in their diets. Uh, it works well because we have an industry that has products that aren't consumed by humans that can be consumed by pets and can meet their nutritional needs. I, you know, I, I think that's a great point as one as nutritionists we talk about all the time because it's so easy to talk about ingredients and that's what, that's what's apparent when you put in the order of preponderance on a pet food label, but we keep wanting that quality is defined by the benefit for the pet and that, that really is more about nutrients and the ingredients provide those nutrients, so there's certainly a, a great connection there. But we get a lot of great ingredients out of the industry that you're so familiar with, and we're very pleased to use them. It's, it's not like we're, we're taking second best and that I think people want to define best by a label, but we would define nutrients as best and, Absolutely. and value to the pet. It's a, it's a different mindset, um, and I don't know what... What would you tell someone? So if a consumer is watching you and they're saying, well, Dr. Martin, I I really just want to feed steak to my pets. And I don't know why you yeah. talk about these other products. And I want the best for them. And Dennis is saying, you know, Dr. Joel, you make foods, but I don't know. You're using these meat products. Uh, what, what do you tell yeah. them? How can you, how can you sort of respond to that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because I've, as a pet owner, I find myself in the same conversation, right? Like, I I think my little dog, you know, he wants the same steak that we're eating off the grill, but really his nutritional needs are different than mine. And making sure, relying on nutritionists like yourself to, to formulate rations and formulate diets that meet the nutritional needs. Because really, when we think about quality, to your point, when we think about quality from a pet food perspective, we're thinking about quality of life. And so making sure that we deliver high quality ingredients that meet their nutritional needs so that their, their life quality is greater. And it's not the same as if, you know, when I think about my quality of life as a human consumer, maybe that's influenced by where I buy my food or uh, the person I buy my food from or where it was raised. And the average pet just wants, you know, they, they have a different set of needs and a different set of requirements than we do. So I think as long, you know, the, the diversity of ingredients that go into pet food manufacturing are there so that we can meet pet nutritional needs that are different than mine. Uh, and it, 
I, I, you know, I'm sure my dog would love it if all he had were steak, but nutritionally as a scientist, yeah. that's not, yeah, it wouldn't be best for him. And so I think the reality is that we need to, as, as pet owners, you know, it's kind of like putting your frame of mind and as a parent, you know, what's best for your children. They can't just eat pop tarts and cereal all day long. They need a balanced diet. And so as a pet owner, their nutritional needs are different from humans. And as long as we're giving them the nutritional needs that they have and using high quality ingredients to do so, that's a high quality pet food. No, that's great. You know, I, I think you're really talking about an, a, a concept that I would like to, to just sort of summarize that area with is this complementation that you do use many different ingredients with many different uh, strengths to, to build a food that's stronger than any individual ingredient by itself could possibly be. So that's for sure. Now let's just yeah. get back to sustainability for a second. You know, I've, I've been interested in it recently, and, and it's really quite remarkable, isn't it, if you start saying, well, here is, here is a, a given capacity for protein, um, and, and we as well as our pets yeah, need protein, and here's proteins that are in some ways no longer valuable in that primary stream. And I just wonder, you know, can we talk about it a little bit? What what drives that? Is it different than it was twenty years ago? And 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 where might that go? Is there any, you know, enhancement that we could talk about there? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, and I think like that if you just think about it generally for folks who may not know the the scope of this this sector of the industry. So you know, in, in many cases, 30 plus percent of an animal that's being harvested and used for human consumption, 30 plus percent of that animal isn't going into human food streams. And in some cases, it's, you know, the hide of the animal, it's the, the bone of the animal, it's the fat of the animal. Uh, other cases, it's organ meats that, there, you know, in the U.S., there isn't a high, uh, high interest for consumption in. Uh, and so we have products, you know, these are necessary products that come from the production of human foods that are available that offer tremendous nutritive value. And if we weren't to find ways to use them and to capitalize on the nutritive value they had, then the alternative is that they go into waste streams. And so, the, the, you know, there's a, an um, an awareness that if we don't find something to do with these products, then the impact of the waste is significant. And I think it really speaks to the ingenuity of the industry to find ways to maximize the nutritive impact of all parts of an animal that are used, uh, whether it be used for human or uh, for pet food manufacturing. I think one of the things that we've seen is this awareness that there are some negative connotations with the, the terminologies that are used to describe the products that are used in um, uh, that are you know not used for human consumption and maybe used for pet food manufacturing or for other uh, other animal foods. And I think we've seen the industry aware uh, that there's some desire for nomenclature changes even at the meat processing plant. So instead of calling something what used to be called an edible. 
it's not inedible. It's generally not consumed by humans, but it's edible for other, it's edible for pets. And so we've even seen changes such as that of changing it to this is human edible and this is pet edible. And then there are truly those things that are inedible, right? And that's a different stream and does, isn't something that goes into pet food and or human food production. And so I think we've seen that awareness the, the consumer awareness has been there and there's, you know, been a longstanding um, confusion around the, the terms that are used and, and perhaps a misperception around what goes into pet food manufacturing. And now we've seen the, the processing plants uh, really take that to heart and change the way they talk about producing products that go into pet food manufacturing and find too, you know, I've been in a lot of meat processing plants where they will lean into the fact that their employees are pet owners. And so they want to make sure that when they're producing products that are going into pet food manufacturing streams, that they're aware of that, that they know this is actually going to feed, you know, your neighbor's dog or your, you know, your, your parents' dogs. And so I think that awareness is something that's been uh, really neat to see. Uh, and, and it allows the industry to capitalize on the nutritive value these products bring, and to recognize that if we don't find a way to maximize on the 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 available nutrients that exist in these high quality protein sources, the opposite of that is that these go into waste streams. Where, from a sustainability perspective, from an environmental impact perspective, uh, the the environmental impact is significant. If we were to have to put, you know, let's say. I think it's about 45 to 46% of the average beef animal would then go into a waste stream if it weren't to be used for other production. And that's, that's significant. And, you know, we see too, at the same time, there's a lot of folks who, um, who may say, well, what if we just switch to plant-based meat products, right? Or we were to use plants and get rid of the use of meats uh, in, in pet food manufacturing, the impact of that is also significant. So right now we have land and animals that are used primarily to feed humans. And that has its own impact on the environment. That's space, that's water, that's resources that are being used to do that. If we were to require uh, to plant plants to feed our pets, that's significant amount of land, that's significant amount of water. And so I think this idea of working together with an industry that is primarily driven to feed humans and finding ways to maximize on the high quality protein and protein and fat based ingredients that come from that, that production stream really tells an amazing story of collaboration between two industries to have an impact that one meets nutritional needs of both humans and pets, but also reduces the environmental impact of both. Yeah. You know, that's great. A great uh, sort of combination of benefits there that, that pull into this industry you're so familiar with. I wonder, you know, if we just could talk a little bit, the other term that I've always sort of, I use it because I have a definition for it that seems quite appropriate, which is this term of byproducts. You know, it's a byproduct is a secondary product in a primary ingredient stream. Um, but is that something we should try to better educate people yeah. about or just forget it? They're never going to assume a byproduct can be also quality because what you're defining is really a, a a process that allows quality in the human stream and the pet food stream. But what do you think? Is there what, how, you know, it's a linguistics question almost, but what do you think? Yeah. 
You know, I, I think there's certainly an opportunity for education around ways in which by from a human perspective, byproducts already add value, whether it be in, you know, medicine or cosmetics or uh, textiles or you know, in the, the meat space. I think about leather, for example, as a, a great example of a byproduct from the product, the primary production stream. I think education is certainly a possibility. I don't know, honestly, that we've moved the needle much. Um, I think there's a, there's equally as much interest and perhaps should be as much effort in changing the terminology uh, so that we don't refer to these products as byproducts, but we, we really try to socialize new names to help the average consumer um, to recognize that it, it, it's not, you know, it, it has it has value in a primary stream, uh, even though it's associated with something that has a, a different primary stream. I don't know that there's much uh, possibility for that to happen. I think the idea of changing nomenclature is a, a long-term process. So I, I think there's a bit of uh, education that's probably going to be more impactful around socializing the idea that byproducts aren't bad, uh, even when they're used in food production because of the, the, the cooperative benefits that we get in this process. Um, and I think that's something that we can lean into because as a society, we're, we see the, the impacts of byproducts across our lifestyles all the time, but we just don't call them byproducts. Uh, we call them what they are. And so I think there's an opportunity there. It is interesting, and 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 we shouldn't be surprised, right? Words have meaning, and and they acquire yeah. a, a sort of uh, understanding, a societal understanding that that yeah, here we are. Well, what do yeah. you think? I wonder if we could talk a little bit. I always enjoy talking. You see a lot of students coming through your area, and you worked with a lot of people. What? What do you find is really something you look for for a successful, you know, team member or maybe a student? What would you what would you wish for in a in a strong candidate that just you know to talk? I, I don't know who's watching this always, but but someone yeah, might yeah yeah here and you know I I'm attracted to to maybe understanding how we could enhance the world we live in through a sustainable effort that you're talking about maybe to they love pets and they think i never really thought about this as a a primary benefit for pet food what what would you look for person what could you tell yeah i think you know i think one of the things is kind of you know i think about my experience has been driven a lot by curiosity and being open-minded to explore solutions Uh, and i i look for folks like that especially thinking about where we're heading, challenges like sustainability, challenges around consumer perception of uh, pet food manufacturing, meat processing, whatever it may be. These are tough topics and there's not going to be a single solution that works or a a single discipline that provides a solution for some of these challenges. So I really look for folks who bring in perspectives uh, that add uh, add value to the conversation. They're willing to share the value they bring, but they're also open-minded to to learn and listen and hear what's happening around them and then think collaboratively. Because in my mind, you know, I think about what we're doing at the Pet Food Alliance with the pet food and rendering industries. A lot of the things that are are being discussed are topics that have, they're not new, right? They've been challenges for a long time. 
And it takes people who are willing to bring their ideas, they're willing to bring their perspectives, but also work with someone who has a different perspective and find a solution that benefits both. And so I think that the, the mindset of being willing to collaborate and maybe think first about collaboration versus independent solutions, I really look for folks. And I think students who have that sort of a mindset can be a team player, but also are willing to be open-minded in addition to the ideas and and thoughts that they bring uh, really is going to be required as we move forward and try to to find some solutions to the, the problems that we continue to to be challenged by and the new problems that will certainly be in our future. I think it takes all kinds of folks. And um, I look for people like that. I, it's, it's been an experience for me. You know, I, I started my space in, in the pet food industry through the lens of a meat scientist. And so I come, I come from that background. I, I, I knew the end, the meat industry well, and then having the opportunity to recognize that the things that I'm familiar with and the things that I think are solutions, they have value, but they're not the solution. Working with the person on the other side of the industry and the experiences and the the thoughts that they have together, we can work to find a solution. So I really look for folks like that uh, who can be a part of a team that works together. Oh, it sounds exciting. What what do you think, you know, if you're, if you're advising those students, is this, is this a career that's that's going to have a long run ahead? Yes, absolutely. And that's one of the priorities most recently of the Pet Food Alliance. When you look at the so the, the number of pets is going up. So we, we know um, you know, what we see is uh, adults now are tending to have fewer children, but the number of pets they have continues to go up. So pet ownership will continue to increase and not only domestically. But as other countries become uh, more affluent, they also want pets. And so we're seeing global pet, uh, pet numbers increase. What we also know from, I think, about my position in animal sciences, so many of our students have an interest in, in helping pets. You know, maybe their first interest, like mine, is to be a veterinarian. And I think what we, well, there's so much opportunity in the pet food manufacturing space to say you can still impact the health and well-being of a pet by not being a veterinarian, but by helping to make sure that the foods they eat meet their nutritive requirements, that they're high quality and that they're safe. And so I often engage with my students in our department here at Colorado State University and say, you know, if you don't go to vet school, that's fine. You can still benefit and you can still help pets by playing a role in what they eat. Because we know uh, over the course of their life that diets are one of the biggest drivers of longevity of a pet. And so if you really want to have a role in helping pets, there are other ways to do that that don't necessarily involve veterinary medicine. And it's an industry that continues to grow. It's an industry that uses skill sets. So, you know, they're using, uh, whether it's engineering skill sets, using computer science skill sets, there are so many food science, there are so many skill sets that are now going into the pet food manufacturing industry uh, that are unique, that are, uh, that It'll allow different types of students to play a role. So I, I encourage all students to think about this space, especially those, and most people do want to make sure that cats and dogs are taken care of. Um, I encourage them because I think that the sky's the limit for opportunities in this uh, field. And seeing colleagues of mine, you know, who I was in, was in school with, whether in undergraduate or graduate school, seeing them now play, have a role in pet food manufacturing 
um, has been really rewarding for me because our experiences were the same from an educational perspective, but they were able to recognize their, the opportunity that existed there. And so I think that it's, it's tremendous. And I, I encourage all folks to think about it from a career perspective. Oh, that's very interesting. You know, it, it does, it does strike us that it's a very old thought, but you know, the foundations that we're dealing with is food is, is probably the largest contribution to our environment that uh, that we can do and and all things are a part of it right so the safety of it and and the veterinary medicine of it you know but but we can really make an effect on the health and well-being and and that influences the relationship too so obviously yeah, we want that long rich relationship with the with the pet owner and the pet um, so yep yeah yeah it's such a it's a neat i think it's such a neat field because you know to your point it enriches the pet owner's relationship with their pet. And there's a lot of research showing around, you know, like longevity of human life when pets are in the household. And, you know, whether it be support animals or just pets that you have as companions. And so I think when we think about sustainability, there's a social aspect of sustainability. And we know that human life is increased when they're, when humans are healthier and when they have less stress. And we know that pets are a great source of providing happiness and reducing stress. And so it's such an, a neat combination of how something is sim- seemingly as simple as what we feed our pets can really have impacts that are much, much greater in making human life longer, making humans uh, happier and less stress and what impacts that may have globally as well. So when you really get kind of nerdy about it, you can find ways that this is such a neat way to contribute to something much bigger when you don't even know you're contributing to it. No, that's great. And, you know, I look at what you're saying and I, I see that you're saying you're also having fun in it and that this is actually yes. <laughs> something that, that uh, you know, you can get up and think, I'm glad I'm doing this today. Absolutely. And I, I can't say enough that it's certainly been one of the most enriching parts of my career is the opportunity to learn and work with the pet food industry as well as the rendering industry. And I can't say enough about their willingness to work together. Uh, and I, I think they've really set the example of how two industries that have perhaps different interests, but similar interests, and in some cases, a common interest, uh, find ways, even when it's hard, to work together. And I think that is just such a remarkable asset. Uh, and they've, they've, they make me excited to work, to go to meetings and to go to, to companies and see that they are committed uh, to the the same things that I am and are willing to work together to get there. Yes, that, you know, it's a general theme, but I think it's the old guy looking back, the fun of having that group that is so much stronger and so much more productive than the sum of the individuals. Each individual does well, but the group t- together and you think, oh, this is remarkable. Yes. And that is, that's really quite fun. We use the term a lot, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. And yeah. it's it's really fun to see large and small manufacturers recognize that collectively we can we can do better and we can work together better. And that's truly fun. Great. Well, I've sure enjoyed our chat. And um, I wonder if you have any other thoughts. I, you know, I think that you've covered... If you could summarize, or, or perhaps maybe I could summarize, which do you prefer? 
Yeah, I'm. I, I'm happy to. I think the idea of uh, you know using uh, high quality protein products so, to go into pet food manufacturing offers benefits both to the pet in in making sure that their nutritive values are met, but global impacts as it relates to making sure that we are maximizing food that's produced for humans and pets uh, globally and domestically, and doing that together and collaboratively. Uh, really is the key to the future uh, and finding ways to uh, to bring in different skill sets and new views and new visions moving forward um, because the the industry is evolving quickly uh, and we have a, a a lot of fun challenges ahead in our future. Well, thank you for that summary. I have enjoyed hearing about your area of research and understanding a little more how this complementation of the needs of people and the needs of pets have run together through uh, what you're doing and and really the benefit that happens uh, through that high quality pet food and even uh, to our society and our, our ecological value of using resources to the best we can. So this has been fun. Thanks for having the chat. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay, I hope we can do it again. We'll, we'll dive deeper in one of these subjects. <laughs>